Hey guys, it's Mr. Harmon again. This is U.S. History Notes for Monday, April 20th, 2020. Today we are going to cover Chapter 25, the Clinton Administration, Section 2, Foreign Policy Issues During the First Term. Just as a reminder, the notes will be on Moodle under the notes section as well as this recording. Uh, furthermore, there is going to be a current event assignment for you guys today. There is a Zoom check-in today, and there's also an attendance check-in today. If you're curious about any of those, go on to RenWeb and check what the assignments are, please. All right, let's get to it. So the main section that we're going to be looking at, really the only section we're going to be looking at today, is all on Clinton's foreign policy. Now, within that, we're going to look at kind of five sub-areas of Clinton's foreign policy because he'll deal with things kind of on a regional level, um, depending on what region of the world we happen to be looking at. The first thing we're specifically going to focus on is the U.S. and the former Soviet Union. Remember, the Soviet Union has crashed. It no longer exists. It's now Russia and everything else that is split off from it. So, with the fall of the USSR and communism, Clinton basically is going to try and subtly push democracy into East Europe and into Russia uh, via two things. First of all, economic stimulus packages, and second of all, political connections. Um, so the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to offer Russia $2.5 billion, ultimately with the goal to create some sort of an open trade market with them. Realize that they have a huge population, they have a huge market for us to give our goods to, and so we're trying to create some sort of economic connection with Russia with this stimulus package. Regardless of that money, in the fall of 1993, Yeltsin will propose huge, huge sweeping political changes to what's going to happen in Russia. Um, essentially what he's going to do here is he's going to kind of reset how uh, their government is working, um, where he's going to hope that they'll kind of turn democratic. Unfortunately, what's going to happen here is the Russian parliament resists him. So he goes 180 the opposite direction, dissolves parliament, fights parliament, kills some of parliament, captures some and puts some in jail, and then basically reverts to the old communist kind of way of running the government, which kind of runs completely opposite of what we were hoping for. Um, so things started positive and then things are going to go negative very quickly. That being said, to show good faith in democracy, we will see that Yeltsin holds elections for president in December. Um, he unfortunately only gets 15% of the vote, um, wants to stay as leader, so he ignores the actual results that would have named guys Yaronovsky as the leader, and then just names himself the leader again. Um, in the long, big scheme of things, it's probably for the best because Zirinovsky was an open anti-Semite. He openly campaigned that Jews were the problem. He was against the Jews. So probably good that we don't have a Russian Hitler come into power. Um, anyway, understand that democracy is not going exactly like we want in Russia. The second thing that we're looking at here with Clinton's foreign policy is the U.S. and its issues with the former Yugoslavia. Um, so what's going on here? Um, one of the countries that splits from the USSR when they do split up in 1991 is Yugoslavia. And Yugoslavia is kind of an odd place because Yugoslavia is technically one country, but it has multiple nationalities of people living within its borders. The three main groups that are going to kind of push for power once Yugoslavia does split from the USSR is going to be the Serbs, led by a guy named Slobodan Milosevic, the Croats, 
led by a guy named Franco Tudman, and the Slovenians, led by a guy named Milan Kuchan. Now, what's going to happen here that becomes a problem is in 1991, whenever the USSR falls, whenever Yugoslavia technically gets its independence, one of those three groups, the Croats, will declare its own independence in its own independent country, Croatia. That will happen, and then shortly after, in May of 1991, the Slovenians will do the exact same thing, and they will split and create their own country. So this former large territory of Yugoslavia has just split up into Croatia, Slovenia, and the former Yugoslavia. Now, where we get into conflict is the leader of the Serbians, Slobodan Milosevic, will decide that he doesn't want Croatia to split away, he doesn't want Slovenia to split away. He wants all one united power, and he wants it to be Serbia. Now, partially that is because the Serbian national uh, people are split up in all three of these territories, and he wants one conglomerated group of people, but also he just wants power. So from 1991 to 1992, Milosevic will start a series of what he's going to call ethnic cleansings. Um, this is essentially genocide in a new way. Basically, he's going to go from region to region to region, trying to wipe out anybody that's not Serbian. And so he's going to target four main groups. The Croats, first of all, the Slovenians, second of all, and then in a third and fourth campaign, he's also going to target the Bosnians and Muslims, because typically Serbs tend to be Christian, not Muslim. And so we have actual genocide happening in the former Yugoslavia. In 1993, Clinton eventually does step up and say that he's going to promise troops to this. However, in the U.S., the public will absolutely crucify Clinton over this. We don't see any reason that we should be involved in a war in East Europe. It has nothing to do with us. So Clinton, unfortunately, will back down. So we know people are being slaughtered. It's on the news nightly that people are being killed, and we do nothing. Furthermore, the United Nations, for the most part, does nothing. By 1994, we will know that millions have been killed. However, the Croats and the Muslims will have allied together. They will have defeated and captured Milosevic, and they will start to try Milosevic for crimes against humanity. That being said, just as of two years ago, there are still people that are being captured, or, or rather found, and then captured and put on trial for the crimes against humanity that happened in 1991 and 1992 in the former Yugoslavia. So understand it's chaos there and Clinton does not really do anything to put that to bed, which he probably should have. The third big thing we're looking at is the US and the Middle East. Um, what we've got going on in the Middle East is there's a, a huge issue developing between uh, Israel and Palestine in terms of a two-state uh, solution or a one-state solution. Um, Clinton will intervene in this conflict that's been going on for, what, 20, 30, 40, 50 years now? And he's basically going to get some sort of an agreement between Yitzhak Rabin, the Israeli leader, and Yasser Arafat, the leader of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or the PLO, kind of the person that leads the Palestinians, on September 13th, 1993. And essentially what they're going to agree on is that Palestine is now going to get guaranteed land. They will get the Gaza Strip, and they will also kind of discuss the issue of them maybe getting a little bit of the West Bank. Now, in agreement, Israel is going to be getting peace from the Palestinians and the PLO, and hopefully there will be no more fighting between Palestine and Israel. Now, regardless of this agreement, even though it should have created peace, even though it should have created two states, even though it should have created happiness with everybody, 
A lot of people in the PLO, a lot of Palestinians in the PLO, will not be happy about it because they wanted all of Israel. They wanted all of their former land. And so they ultimately will throw Arafat out as their leader, and they will go back to fighting Israel. And so even though this was a positive issue, even though Clinton had peace here, unfortunately it devolves and it goes back to a, a uh, fight. It goes back to a war type conflict. So it's an unfortunate situation. Clinton handled it very well. We did have peace, things were good, uh, but then it goes right back to it. Fourth big issue we're looking at here are some issues with the US and Africa. Um, and actually we're looking at two things here. Uh, and it's weird because these kind of date back to 1980, uh, but it takes us up to 1994. Um, so this actually goes from Reagan to Bush to Clinton. Um, so the first thing we're looking at is what's going on in South Africa. And this is something that's been going on in South Africa for a long time called apartheid. Apartheid is a fancy way to say the separation and abuse between the races. Specifically, what we're talking about here is dating back to the early 1900s. White Dutch and white English populations started to move into South Africa. They enslaved the black African populations, and then they basically transitioned slavery into lack of civil rights. And so a minority white population of Europeans, about 15% of the population, has had full control, first through slave labor, then through lack of rights over the majority black population, which is about 85% of the population. And so this abuse of rights, this abuse of people, has become a national and international issue that everybody is watching. Now, when we look at what Reagan did or lack thereof, Reagan saw this, he was even told by his own fellow Republicans he needed to reply to this, and he did not. Um, he basically said, this is not our issue, I, I don't have anything to do with this, so I, I won't do anything. So we knew abuse was happening and we didn't do anything. That continued under Bush Sr., he basically followed in the steps of Reagan. By the time we got to Clinton, something is finally done about it. So when we get to Clinton, he basically is going to put sanctions or economic trade blocks against South Africa and gets large parts of the rest of the world to do the same until they give up apartheid. Eventually, two people are going to be key to ending apartheid in South Africa. That is going to be the president of South Africa, Frederick W. de Klerk, and former civil rights activist who was in jail in South Africa, Nelson Mandela, who gets released from jail by de Klerk and then helps de Klerk end apartheid. Eventually, the happy ending to this story is that in 190, I'm sorry, 1992-93, they will end apartheid officially. By 93-94, they will hold elections. And by 1994, Nelson Mandela, a former civil rights activist in South Africa who had been illegally jailed in South Africa for 27 years of his life, will be voted in as president. The first African, the first black African president of South Africa. So huge sweeping changes here happening in South Africa and Clinton having a lot to do with it with the sanctions. So pretty awesome stuff there. The second issue we have going on in Africa is kind of a chaotic issue. As positive as things might have seemed in South Africa, the issues going on in Somalia are going to be very chaotic. So what's going on in Somalia is in the early 1990s, they have a series of droughts and a series of famines going on. Now, the U.S. will basically queue up the United Nations to respond to this with um, food, with water, with trying to provide um, health care, whatever uh, Somalia kind of needs, we're going to try and provide through the United Nations. Now, unfortunately, we don't have a good way to deliver the goods. 
um, without kind of trouble cropping up. And so ultimately we deliver goods through troops. We want to make sure that um, people are getting the goods that they need, that there aren't um, like terrorists coming in and stealing it. There aren't like bandit groups coming in and stealing it. And so we send in troops with the food, with the water, with the health supplies. Now, the problem with that is there are still the bandit groups out there. There are still the terrorist groups out there one of them will start attacking U.S. troops. And so as we're pulling our troops out because we don't want our troops getting into a war in Somalia, um, a group of our troops are going to be attacked by a terrorist named Mohammed Farah Aidid. Essentially, this is what the plot of Black Hawk Down is, if any of you have seen that movie. But what's going to happen is they're going to attack a group of American troops. The American public hears about it, gets very upset that Clinton is involved in Somalia, and ultimately we fully remove ourselves by April 1994. But it's a chaotic situation that ultimately becomes a PR nightmare. So we're trying to help out Somalia, we get attacked in Somalia, and then the question's like, what were we even doing in Somalia? Um, so where we have positive with South Africa, we have negative with Somalia. The last issue we're looking at is the U.S. and some Western Hemisphere issues. And the Western Hemisphere would be the Americas, so the U.S. and how we're dealing with the Americas. And really what we're looking at here are three trade issues. Um, so these aren't necessarily in order of importance, but these are three trade issues that we have going on in North America, in South America, and then kind of to the rest of the world. The first one and the big one that actually has just been recently removed and redone is NAFTA, or the North American Free Trade Agreement. So this originally dates back to Reagan and Bush, but it will largely kind of come together under Clinton. Um, but don't take away from what Reagan and Bush here. They did a lot here with this. So anywho, essentially what the idea was, was that um, we were looking to try and make uh, for cheaper goods and, and look to help out our neighbors in the same process. And so Reagan, Bush, and Clinton will propose this idea of tax-free trade between Canada, the US, and Mexico. Now, the potential problem here is this scares a lot of Americans because potentially we're going to lose jobs. Why we might be losing jobs is a lot of manufacturing jobs in the US are expensive for Americans to pay for. And if we're paying a lot because we have a high minimum wage to create goods, goods will have higher price. If we ship those jobs to Canada or Mexico where they might have lower minimum wage, good prices will go down because labor prices are down. And then if we don't have taxes on goods coming from Mexico or Canada, we therefore have cheaper goods coming in from Mexico or Canada. The problem is we might lose jobs, but the positive is we're going to have cheaper goods. So there's a little bit of a, uh, a cost benefit analysis situation going on here. How many jobs are we willing to lose versus how cheap are we willing to have goods? And that's kind of the debate going on right now with redoing NAFTA is what jobs do we want here versus how expensive or how cheap do we want goods? But that's what NAFTA is going to do is creates tax-free trade between Canada, the US and Mexico. The second agreement we have is what's called GATT. That's the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs. Essentially, this is the idea where we're going to do NAFTA, but on the world stage. Um, so we're going to look to try to end taxes and tariffs with other major world powers uh, and try and create cheaper trade of goods. It's basically NAFTA, but on the world stage. And the last trade agreement, it's not so much a trade agreement, but it's an organization called the World Trade Organization, or the WTO. 
And basically, this is a group that's going to monitor worldwide trade and try and make sure that worldwide trade is done safely, is done correctly, and is done where everybody kind of has uh, input, everybody has uh, the same advantages of everybody else, and no one's really being exploited. Now, it's not to say that there isn't still exploitation going on. There is, but the WTO is supposed to kind of keep track of that and stop that from happening. And so the WTO is kind of a positive thing if it's used correctly. And that's where I'm going to go ahead and in the notes for the day. Just as a reminder, this was U.S. History Notes for Monday, April 20th, 2020. This covered Chapter 25, the Clinton Administration, Section 2, Foreign Policy Issues During the First Term. Also, as a reminder, this will be under the notes section on Moodle, as well as this recording. Furthermore, there is a current event assignment for you guys to work on today. There is a Zoom check-in that we will do, and there is an attendance check-in that you need to do as well. All of those with links on Moodle. Um, I will also hold office hours from 2 to 3 today, so if you guys need to uh, pop on and ask any questions, I will be on from 2 to 3. Otherwise, guys, have a good day. Stay safe, stay clean, stay inside, keep your social distance, and I'll talk to you later. All right, bye-bye.